Welcome to the Living Rock Podcast. We're so glad that you're joining us to listen to this message. Whoever you are and wherever you're listening from, we trust that you'll be equipped, envisioned and encouraged as you listen today. Lord, we just want to commit this part of the gathering to you right now. And Holy Spirit, we've already been talking about how much we need you, how we need your anointing. We thank you that that's uh, not something that we have to strive for, but we know that Jesus, you came to baptize us with your Holy Spirit. And we thank you, Spirit of God, that you're here now. And Holy Spirit, we open our hearts to you. We open our Uh, our minds to you we open our lives to you spirit of God we surrender everything to you right now and we ask that as we open our lives that you would speak to us with real clarity I ask Holy Spirit that you'd help me to communicate what you want to say today in the way that you want to say it so that Lord that we are built up and we are encouraged but Lord Jesus you were glorified that your kingdom is extended that God your plan is 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 continued to be outworked in us and through us for your glory Amen. 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 Could you um, open up into Isaiah 61 again, actually, because uh, my Bible's been pretty much sat open in that place for the whole of the worship, and I was, if Julian hadn't beat me to the punch, I would have read that out. And um, just to say, it's great to come to the front to bring things, but actually sometimes as well, to hear things from the body, from where you are, to pray out or to read out, um, while we're... Even, even in a large gathering, it's just great to hear voices around you reading the Word of God. And I was going to be a bit cheeky and read it from where I was. But I get to read it from the front now, so I'm actually going against what I was saying. But, but it's those verses, the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me. And this is our declaration for us today. You know, the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon you. He is upon me. And He's anointed us. And He's anointed us for a purpose. He's anointed us to bring good news to the poor. He's anointed us to comfort the brokenhearted and sending us out to do that. He's anointed us so that we can proclaim that the captives will be released and prisoners will be freed to bring about um, a comfort to those who mourn, all who mourn in Israel. And there's even a provision for God's people, a crown of beauty instead of ashes, joyous blessing instead of mourning, festive praise instead of despair. And I love these words, in their righteousness, they will be like great oaks that the Lord has planted for his own glory. And then read on, verse four. This is, this is God's declaration over us. They will rebuild the ancient ruins, repairing cities destroyed long ago. They will revive them, though they have been deserted for many generations. I was really stirred this morning with Isaiah 58. If you just flick back a couple of pages to Isaiah 58, this is God's declaration about his people. This is not limited to a nation. This is, this is about God's people, God's church, Jew and Gentile who have been saved, brought into the kingdom of God and established in the name of Jesus, filled with the Holy Spirit so they can go out and extend the kingdom. And God says that in our practical outworking of giving shelter to people who need it, feeding the hungry, letting the press go free, that there's a sense of social justice. In verse 8 of Isaiah 58, he says, then your salvation will come like the dawn and your wounds will quickly heal. 
Your godliness will lead you forward and the glory of the Lord will protect you from behind. Then when you call, the Lord will answer, yes, I'm here. He will quickly reply. Remove the yoke of oppression. Stop pointing your finger and spreading vicious rumors. I know nobody does that here, so that's okay. Feed the hungry. Help those who are in trouble. Then your light will shine out from the darkness. And the darkness around you will be as bright as noon. The Lord will guide you continually, giving you water when you're dry, restoring your strength. You will be like a well-watered garden, like an ever-flowing spring. Some of you will rebuild the destroyed ruins of your cities. Then you will be known as a rebuilder of walls and a restorer of homes. Are those not words that inspire us and stir us in our heart and say, yes, Lord. God is a God of restoration. God is a God of restoration. God has restored us, and that's wonderful, but he's restored us to be restorers. He's restored us to be restorers. If you jump forward into Acts, uh, Acts 13, verse 36, please. We used to sing a song when I was in... uh, I don't know where it, who it was written by, and I don't know if it was written amongst kind of the, the, the churches that we relate to, but it was, um, I want to serve the purpose of God in my generation. I want to serve the purpose of God while I am alive. I want to give my life for something that will last forever. I delight, I delight to do your will. And, um, and it kind of, it, 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 it marries up with this, this verse here in, in Acts 13, which talks about David's life. It says this in Acts 13, 36, He's saying that the prophetic word that came wasn't directly about David. It was fulfilled in Jesus. But he says this about David. After David had done the will of God in his own generation, he died and was buried with his ancestors and his body decayed. But he's saying this. David had done the will of God. David served the purposes of God in his generation. And then he, a nicer version is, then he fell asleep. But it makes it sound like he was just really tired serving the purposes of God. But, he, but you know, as you read through the history books of the Old Testament, particularly when you read in, in Kings and Chronicles, and it's quite scary to think that somebody could be a king for decades and maybe live for 60, 70, 80 years, and yet their lives could be summed up in a sentence. And in a sense, that's exactly what, what Paul's doing here. He's describing and summing up David's life in a sentence. And the summary is this. He served the purposes of God in his generation. And I think, what an accolade, what an epitaph that, that, that somebody could say of me, that if I go before Jesus returns, that my epitaph would be, Richard Jones served the purposes of God in his generation. And that to, to burn in our hearts, to say, Lord, what are your purposes for me? What are your purposes for us in our generation, what is shaping what I believe, what I'm convinced of, what I'm motivated by, what I'm here to do in serving your purposes. Because we are, we're a product, aren't we, of, of a number of things, but I think the two things that we've broken down into is, is our nature and our nurture. It's, it's amazing, it, it always amazes me how different our three children are from one another. Two of them are in the room, so I'm gonna, I can only talk nicely about them anyway, because they're great, wonderful kids and we love them. But they're very different. So they grow up in the same home, with the same rules, the same parents, the same environment. All of those are the same. And yet the three of them are very different in their natures, in their personalities. And that's fantastic. 
We are meant to be unique, aren't we? But here's the wonderful thing as well. When we come into Christ, we receive a new nature. But then there's the nurture part. And the nurture part is the thing that forms very much a, a great deal about what we think, what we believe. You know, all of those voices that have spoken into our lives over the years. If you think back over the years of, of the people that you've known, your family members or your colleagues or your teachers or your peers and, and all of the voices or the things that you've heard on the radio or a podcast or seen on TV and all those voices, the books that you've read that have fed into you or examples that you've seen set for you and all of those things shape us and shape what we think and what we believe or what we think we believe or what we believe what we think and they all form something in us and, and, and here's the thing, I'm sure you could think now of people where you think what they said or what they showed or what the, the example the model they set for me was not good it wasn't it wasn't true it wasn't right and then others who you think that was true that was good that was the right thing and you know God wants us to be assured of what it is that we're going for what it is that our purposes are what what it is that is is driving us forward and motivating us what it is that we really believe Phil start today by saying the truth that we're taken hold of by the truth today. What is the truth? What is it that God wants us to hold on to and live for and, and pursue in our generation? When all of those voices are coming in, how can you determine which is true and which is not? But there's a wonderful description called the, I think somebody called it the road to Emmaus test or the Emmaus test. At the end of Luke's gospel, Jesus had been crucified and two forlorn disciples are walking back to their home in Emmaus from Jerusalem and they're gutted. They think, we had all our hopes pinned on this guy and yet we've just seen him die painfully, violently, with shame and, and, and indignity and, and he's gone. And all of our, we, we believed in him. We thought he was true. We thought that was true, that he was the one and now he's dead. And all they can do is sort of console one another as they walk back to Emmaus, seven miles away, it says. This is kind of the most inspired half marathon that you'll see in the Bible. <laughs> and, and as they're walking, Jesus comes and he starts walking alongside them. And I, I just totally believe Jesus had so much fun in his resurrected body, particularly around his disciples. And he starts walking with them and they don't, do not perceive that it's Jesus for whatever reason. But then it tells us how he begins to show and reveal himself through the scriptures. He talks from the law and the prophets and he begins to point out all these little pictures and pointers and images of himself in those verses. Reveals how he is the fulfillment of all of those things. Fulfill the law and the prophets. And they're, they're walking with this guy who's pouring truth and revelation into them and yet they still don't know it's Jesus and then Jesus does this funny thing where he, he sort of makes it look like he's going to walk along and they say come and eat with us we're at our house Jesus and they sit at the table and it's in that moment when they break the bread that he breaks the bread that they suddenly they see him and then Jesus goes just so he can go and freak out some more disciples but but there's that incredible part. And, and then all of a sudden, there's this little conversation between these two men again. And they are transformed. I don't know how long it took them to walk. I don't know which point in the seven-mile journey Jesus joined them. But I know he must have been with them for a while to go through all the law and the prophets and talk about himself. And maybe they'd been walking for a couple of hours with Jesus. And then finally, they, they said, of course. Of course it was him. Didn't our hearts burn within us as he spoke with us? And, and I just, I'm asking the Holy Spirit to, to say, Holy Spirit, in my life, in my heart, 
the things that are true, the things that you're calling me to, the purposes that you're calling us to, let them burn in my heart. Because when they burn in my heart, then I'm caught by those things. Then I know those things are true. I know I can give myself to those things. And the Holy Spirit loves to answer those prayers. He loves to lead us and guide us into truth. He loves to reveal Jesus to us. It's why he came. And so for us to say, Lord, what is it that you're calling us to? And Lord, let those things burn within our hearts. What do we truly believe? What are we living for? Who are we joined with? What is burning in our hearts? When I, um, uh, when I was born, my parents weren't Christians. They weren't believers at all. And in fact, my whole family was unchurched, non-believing family. And then my auntie had got saved a few months before I was born, my dad's sister. And I've told this story in, in various contexts before, but by the, age, by, by the time I got to about six months old, both my parents had become born-again believers, and my auntie and my uncle had, and my dad's brother and his wife had got saved, and then my nan got saved, and it's like the gospel spread like wildfire through my family. And um, by the age of five, my, uh, we went to an Elam Pentecostal church in Merthyr Tidville called Jerusalem. It was very confusing. Where are you going this Sunday? I'm going to Jerusalem. All oh, right, okay. Is there not a more local congregation you can go to? And, um, and it was a great church. The guy who led the church was a man who was charismatic. It was like the gift of, the spiritual gift that sort of seemed to pop up every Sunday was tongues and interpretation. It was the uh, gift of du jour. And, um, and, the, and there was an encouragement that all believers should be filled with the Holy Spirit, move in spiritual gifts. It was charismatic. It was life there. People served. People got involved. And, and not all churches were like that. It was very much around this guy, particularly him and his wife, who were very much like that. And my dad went to Elim Bible School when, when I was five years old. Um, we moved to South London and we lived not far from Croydon. And my dad went to, uh, looked after a church there for three years. And while that was, we were there, back in Merthyr Tidville, where I'm from, my auntie and uncle and some other people who'd been really caught by the baptism of the Holy Spirit and life in the Spirit and, and seeing what the Word was saying about who we are, um, there was a change in the leadership in the church, in, in the Elim church, and the guy that came in was a good man, but he just didn't have that same faith for those things. And, and during that time, um, ministries from Covenant Ministries International had, had moved into that area and were, 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 was, were around there. And my auntie and uncle had caught hold of this and started to meet with these people. And they went up to Bible Week that were run up in Dales in the Yorkshire Dales, and they were really caught by something. And they said to my parents, you need to, find, you need to come along to this. You need to see what this is about. And so we started to get involved with it. And, and what we realized was that this is where God was really moving in our generation. There was something happening here. There was a life here that we needed to be part of. And, and my, my parents, my dad was about to finish his Elim Bible school, and he had a, a He's got brown eyes, but he was the blue-eyed boy of the kind of Elim thing. And he had a church that he could go and be involved in. And, and they were really seeking God about where they, what they should do next. Because they wanted to get it right. And as far as they were concerned, they burned their bridges back to Merthyr. And in fact, that arson attempt on the Seven Bridge was frowned upon. But um, they thought, our, our time in Merthyr is gone. It's time for a new season. And, uh, and they were praying and seeking God about it. And my mother was reading a book by a man called Arthur Wallace called The Radical Christian. And she read these words. He said, don't ask God to blow on your candle. Take your candle to where the fresh breath of God is blowing in your generation. Don't ask God to blow on your candle. Take your candle to where the fresh breath of God is blowing 
in your generation. And she read that, and she read that to my dad, and they're like, oh, okay. And then they, they prayed, and they said, Lord, if it's right for us to go back and be involved with this, this new, newish setting, we just ask that you'd help us find work there. And the next day, my uncle rang my dad, and he said, look, I'm, I'm, I'm running a driving school. The church is growing. It'd be great if you could come and work on the driving school with me and help to look after the church with me. And so that was it. We moved back to Merthyr. And from the age of eight then, we were back in, in South Wales. And, and I grew up then in this context of, of going to Bible Weeks, being part of an apostolic uh, group where there were links with other apostolic ministries. I remember listening to men like Bryn Jones and uh, Charles Simpson and Terry Virgo and Ern Baxter and Paul Scanlon and Gerald Coates and, and great um, gifts to the church. And I grew up in that environment. And I'm so blessed that I, I we, that. I got to experience that. And then from then on, it was like, this is where I belong. This is the house that I'm a part of. This is the, the, this is the, the, the mission that God is calling me to, to serve. And, and therefore, when I was choosing my options for university, I chose a university where there was a, ch- a related church that met there. Because I was like, I want to stay part of this group. Not like we're the be all and end all, but I've, ca- I've been caught by this. And therefore, this is where I'm going to be. Not to dismiss any other work, any other stream, but for me, it was like, this is it. And so other universities might be great, but Cardiff is where this is being expressed, and other universities, that's where I'm going to go, Bath, Cardiff. And it, sure enough, it was Cardiff. And then when I qualified as a physiotherapist, it's like, right, my next place is going to either be Cardiff or Leicester, because in both places, these churches, are, that's where they are based, because this is what I'm a part of, this is my house, this is my family. And then I moved up to Leicester, and I met Sarah, my wife, and I worked as a physiotherapist and got involved in the church in the city in Leicester and served in all sorts of different areas, but led the youth, the students, all sorts of different Ooh. quietly. And, um, <laughs> and Sarah was part of Rock of Life as it was then, and I was part of Leicester Christian Fellowship. And when we got married, I moved to Rock of Life and became part of the congregation essentially a year, really, for the last, since the year 2000. And... Um, Started, went to Bible school in 2001, 2002, came out, started working part-time as a physio, part-time for the church, and in 2006 came into eldership full-time to work alongside David and Chris Alton, and, uh, and uh, Julian had been an elder just before that, and then it was Stephen Peake, Charles Smith, and Matthew Ling, and, 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 and that's been kind of my story, but, but in everything that we've done, as, as Sarah and I, as a family, and my parents, it's been, where, who are we joined with? And why are we joined with them? We join with them because we're caught with that same heart. Yes. And therefore, everything else is, is secondary. Yes. It's, it's substance over style. Yes. It's life joinings over likings at times. Because we're sharing this heart with them. And, and this overriding heart, this overriding thing that, that flowed through everything that I've heard and I've grown up in is this one word, Restoration. This wonderful word, restoration. I've, I've, I've got some mugshots, I think, next, have I? There are many, um, many men and women who have, who have invested into me in my life that I've been so blessed to receive from them. But I just wanted to highlight, in particular, these three individuals, these three men. And uh, you've got Tony Ling over there. He's waving. I'll just come over here and I can wave back. <laughs> Kerry's making a point. And Bryn's looking very smiley. And... Um, you know, for those of you who don't know these men, Tony Ling is, an, is a prophet, and Kerry and Bryn Jones are both apostles. And, you know, for Tony, Tony Ling has unlocked the Bible to me in a way that no one else has. 
he's revealed the fullness of the Bible story to me in a way that nobody else has ever expounded it or revealed it. He will often, you know, I used to love sitting. You could sit in a chair, wait for Tony to, to, to give his opening reference, and you had no idea where it was going to be. But I always kind of hoped it was going to be somewhere in one or two kings. That was just, that's just me. But he would expound and pull out and draw out these motifs and these stories and these pictures that start in Genesis, that flow all the way through. And they might emerge somewhere in the history books or pop up somewhere else in the prophetic language or in the books of experience. And then they'll reappear in the Gospels and in the letters and find their fulfillment in Revelation. Whether it's the picture of the garden city that you see at the beginning in the garden that, and, and these, the, the, the idea of this garden that God is growing that reveals his goodness and his glory and his fruitfulness that then finishes in Revelation with the garden city. Or whether it's a, a father looking for a bride for his son that's kind of revealed in, in Adam not yet being fulfilled until God had created Eve. And then from then on you've got images of Isaac having a, a wife found for him, of Jacob loving Rachel so he's willing to work 14 years hard labour, being tricked to marry Leah. And then all these images and pictures of a bride and a groom. And, and, and in Ephesians 5, we see Christ is the groom and we're, or the husband and we're the wife. And this fulfilment in revelation of the bride returning, uh, the groom, rather, the returning for his bride. Yeah. Or whether it's just images of rivers that flow with life that start in the garden. And then they might emerge in Ezekiel as he sees this vision of a river flowing from the temple and then again fulfilled in the city. In Revelation, and, and Tony's sort of, yeah. it all fits, it all works, yeah. it's true, yes. <laughs> and it's glorious. Yes. Or for Bryn, if anybody, if you, if you get a chance to listen to Bryn preach, take it. Because Bryn would always, will always leave you with a bigger picture, right. with a bigger vision than you ever had before. And his vision and his understanding of Christ's redemptive plan, of God's redemptive plan through Christ, was massive. He made me realize Jesus, his redemptive plan wasn't just to save me from hell, as wonderful as that is. It wasn't even just to fill me with the Holy Spirit, but actually it was to transform and restore the whole of creation and the universe and the cosmos and everything. And I remember um, when I worked as a physiotherapist, Bryn Jones was at the Glenfield Hospital where I worked and he had problems with his heart towards the end of his life. And he was in one of the wards, and he had his own side room, which is classic Bryn, really. He was always going to get the best, because he believed God's best for all of us. And I remember uh, in my lunch hour, going up to sit with him, and I sat with him. And I thought I was going to cheer him up, you know, and encourage him. And I trust I did, but I came out of there feeling like 10 feet tall. I could take on the world. Because even in that, when he was in hospital and not 100%, there was still this, this revelation that he carried this anointing that he had, something that he'd seen that even in just a 30-minute conversation over a lunch hour, I felt inspired. And Kerry, wonderful apostle and father to the church who's cared for us um, for many years and invested so much into us and will continue to be a great blessing to us. But just his view of, of the world and his heart for evangelism and his belief that we're here to meet every need of mankind because we have all the resources that we need to do it as the church. He's a real philanthropist, a man who just wants to help people very practically, very really, as well, as well as by the power of the Holy Spirit, and has this incredible revelation of the heavenly realms, of spiritual activity and, and movement, but he's not weird. <laughs> and, 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 you know, these, these three, there are other things, other people I could say, but they've built something into me that has taken hold of me that I can't let go of. And in all of it, there's this restoration. 
restoration. Restoration. If you turn in your Bibles to Acts 3, please. Acts 3. It's sort of, some of it, I mean, in the Isaiah 61 verse I read and the Isaiah 58 verses I read, you can see there restoration. If you pick up on restoration, that, that we've been transformed from being mourners, from having sadness and ashes into what? Crown of beauty. Somebody just had a good idea. Bing. That was good timing. Oil of gladness instead of mourning. Garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. What, what is that? That's restoration. And that we're oaks of righteousness planted for his glory. It's restoration. But then to go on to that to say, and you revive towns and cities. Even where generations have been long gone. And um, uh, this is Peter preaching. I mean, his preaching definitely stepped up a level when he was filled with the Holy Spirit, I reckon. So, says, talking about Jesus, he says, he must remain in heaven until the time for the final, what? Restoration of all things as God promised long ago through his prophets. I've only just read a couple of little phrases from Isaiah, but you can see what Isaiah is talking about. He's talking about restoration. He's talking about things that will be fulfilled, things that will come to pass, things that will come about in line with God's will, God's plan, God's purpose that will precede, predate the return of Christ. That is something that will happen and that there's an element of recovery, but it's bigger than that. And that it will itself be forward-looking and focused on the consummation of the end of the age and the return of Christ when he returns in glory. And he makes this, uh, Bryn Jones makes this statement in his book, The Radical Church. He says, it's a mistake to charge true restorers with being historical primitivists. I'm not quite sure what that means, but it sounds good. We do not seek to return to an original condition, rather we seek to advance to the fullness of God's original intention. Isn't that a great quote? So wish I'd come up with that. But that phrase, we do not seek to return to an original condition. Guess what? We're not here to recover the days of Acts 2 and Acts 3 as good as they were. Not dismissing what God was doing in those times and those days. They were glorious. But there's something even greater. We're advancing to the fullness of God's original intention. Where do we see that? Genesis 1 and 2, if we see it anywhere. Where we see man and God in perfect relationship we see um, man and woman in perfect relationship we see a covenant expressed between man and God and and mankind that's happening vertically and laterally if you like that's perfect and untainted by sin and we see uh, then a people who in that place of covenant and relationship are given authority to do what to be fruitful to multiply to fill the earth to rule and subdue and extend the garden into the earth that's kingdom Bringing what God wants into the earth. Building in line with his plan and his heart. You can put the next picture up, please. There you go. So that is a chair that's not dissimilar to two chairs that um, my brother-in-law kindly offered to Sarah and I a few years ago now. Except the chair that he offered was way more tatty. Oh, not yet. That's all right, Tom. It's all right. Um, it was way more tatty. The material was much more shabby. It was like a purpley colour. Fa- I mean, our three favourite colours on the plus side. 
And I remember seeing them and, and him saying, would you like these? They're off my auntie. We can't do anything with them. Do you want them? And I was like, no, I do not want them. Thank you very much. I don't want your tat. And, uh, but Sarah was like, well, hang on a minute. Let's just, let's just check them out. And so Sarah properly looked at them and she lifted them up. She's like, well, there's real weight to these. If you watch, I watch Antiques Road Trip, okay? I know that weight mean, can mean quality, okay? Now. And he lifted up and then she sat in them and she said, actually, the springs, the integrity of these chairs is still really good. And she saw beyond what I could see. There was something in those chairs that had incredible potential. And so she handed them to her father because her dad had, loves to do those sorts of things. He loves those sorts of projects. And, and, and Sarah asked if he would um, re, refurb them, re-kit them, whatever you want to call them. Uh, call it restore them. That's a good word, isn't it? Um, and it would be our Christmas present. And sure enough, they got sent away and they came back. And these are our chairs now. Okay? I love these chairs. I mean, I always saw the potential in them. <laughs> But now, look, instead of like a shabby, shoddy material, or even a material that in its original state was purple and orange and red and, 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 and just material, now we've got this kind of, we'd say like a greeny-gray leather. It's got like that rubbing effect. And look at the stud work down the back. And the wood's been properly sanded down and it brings out this wonderful natural color. And you know what? There was something that had so much potential. It didn't quite look like it, but it was all there. And we just needed to hand it to a father and he had all the resources he needed to transform it and restore it into something that was better even than it would have been in its original state. He took it to a new level. Well, I believe that's God's heart for us. God's heart for the church. Don't ever put down what we're a part of. Don't ever limit the church. Of course, the church isn't there yet. Of course, we're not there yet. But all the potential is there. And as we submit to the Father and all that he's provided for us, he will do the work to restore us into something that's not just back to an original intention, but not just back to an older condition, but back to his original intention. I think if a guy had had the opportunity to make those at the beginning, he'd have gone for that. Only Sarah and I get to see that stud work. Just sometimes we just turn them around and we bask in their glory. (laughs) But that's restoration. That's what God is calling us to. And I just want to just summarize by just talking about these few, few things at the end. You know, the, these are keys for us in coming into all that God's got for us. These are the keys that God wants us to make sure that we're, we're taking hold of, making use of in his plan of restoration. These are the things that enable us to get to where God wants us to get to. Firstly, the gifts of Christ. Believe wholeheartedly that what, the, what Paul talks about in Ephesians 4, the ascended Christ sent into the earth, into the world, gifts. And those gifts are people. And those gifts are there to equip the saints for service so that the church itself can grow to maturity and reach the full stature of Jesus Christ. You read those verses in Ephesians 4. We need the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the pastor, and the teacher. We need them in their great variety. We need them, uh, not just an apostle, a prophet. Okay, great, we'll tick that one off. Now we just need them for an evangelist. But actually, there are many gifts that God wants us to recognize and see functioning into the church who equips the church, the body of Christ, for service and enables us to function in the way that's suitable. They're gifts of Christ. They've got to be good. Yeah. You just put your hand out for a second, please. Just hold up your hand. Okay, I want to just quickly go through the gifts. Put your thumb up, the apostle. The foundational gift, just like the thumb, it's a foundational part of your, your hand. The basis there, 
along with the prophet. There's something foundational about that gift. And that gift is the most, often the most mobile and we'll be able to link and connect with all of the other gifts. Recognizes them, works with them, mobilizes them, causes them to function. And the role of the apostle is to build the church, is to see a heavenly plan. You know, Moses saw the tabernacle in heaven and then he built it on earth. And without a heavenly vision of what things are look, to look like, we'll only build with an earthly perspective. But apostles and prophets particularly have caught something in heaven of a revelation of how the church is to be built. And the apostle helps to build the church. That's why he's foundational, governmental gift. The next one, the pointer, the prophet, brings us direction. Tells us where God is taking us, not where we think we should go, but says this is where God is saying we need to go next. This is what God is saying we should do next. And together with the, the apostle, they bring that direction to the church. Okay, be careful with this next one. The middle finger. The evangelist, the one that reaches out the most, that goes beyond, that extends. And is there to make sure that we're not just building something and, and holding it all together, but actually there's a constant sense of mission. And by the way, of course, apostles can be evangelistic. Apostles can be pastoral. Apostles can be prophetic. And, and all of those gifts, they're not mutually exclusive in that way. But the evangelist does that. And then left hand, because we're not in Russia or Norway, the, middle thing, uh, the, the ring finger, the pastor, marries us to Christ and to one another, brings about a sense of togetherness and unity. And keeps us together, together with one another. And I'm so blessed to hear Matt's testimony this morning of knowing and experiencing. You know what? He didn't go to an Ephesians 4 pastor for that. What I believe is this. I trust that the pastoral ministry and gift to the church created a church and saints who can serve in that way. So that when pastoral need comes up, the body is ready to meet that need. Because the gifts are here to equip the saints not to do all the work. And then lastly, the teacher. The one who kind of grinds things down and brings clarity and straightens things out and flattens, smooths things out so that we can understand them and grasp them. Can you see how those gifts are needed? Yeah. And so those gifts are required for us to recognize and to honor and to um, respond to in the right way in faith because that's the way that we're going to be equipped. The gifts of the Holy Spirit, every believer here, you, there's a, the, the Holy Spirit comes to fill us with himself, with his power, with his fruit and with his gifts. And he wants us to be free to be able to know that whenever a gift is needed, when we're full of the Holy Spirit, we can be the, 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 the person who provides the, what's required to meet that need with that gift. What, what gift of the Spirit is most important? The one that you need at the time. <laughs> if somebody is sick, they probably don't need a word of knowledge. They've already told you they're sick. They probably need the gift of healing. Okay, if somebody's looking for counsel and, and wisdom, they don't need you to heal them. They need you to give them a word of wisdom. <laughs> but in a, but on all of those things as well, that they, we're, we're eagerly desiring spiritual gifts. And we're eagerly desiring to have the character of Christ ex expressed through the fruit of the Spirit. Yeah. Walk in step with the Spirit. And that we all do that as believers. We're all responsible to, to be filled, to stay filled. New covenant relationships in the kingdom of God. You know, that we recognize, as I talked about Adam and Eve and, and God in the garden, that's, that sense of, isn't it wonderful that in the Bible, the great, one of the main ways God reveals himself is as a father. The creator of the heavens and the earth. The Lord of the hosts of heaven's armies. And yet he speaks to us as a father. Jesus teaches us to pray 
our Father. Why? Because covenant is there. He wants us to know then that when we're saved, Romans 8, we have identity as sons. And from that identity, we obey. We live in line with his will. So far too often we obey to try and gain identity, to earn God's pleasure so that he can be like a father to us. It comes the other way. We see him as our father. We find our identity in that. And then we live like a part of the family. And then we're part of the kingdom of God. God is father. Jesus is king. And because of us coming under his delegated authority, we have an authority. And because we have authority, we can live in power. And all of these things work together. You know, we're a family, but we're a family on a mission. We know who we are as sons, but we know what we're here to do as servants of the king. The nature, the mission, the destiny of the church. Where is the church going? What is Jesus returning to? And I did, we're talking about belonging yesterday and reading all these pictures that Paul gives us of the church. Can you imagine the family of God not representing the father well? Like father, like son. Is that not a statement? And the people look at the church as a whole bunch of infighting, angry, useless, worthless individuals who aren't really doing anything. And you think, well, that's not like their father. And that's because I believe that's not where the church is going. The church is becoming more united. The church is growing in strength, growing in wisdom, growing in in unity and oneness and togetherness because we are like our father, because we have a, a big brother, if you like, a firstborn who we pursue and we follow after and we fix our eyes on. That, that God is building a temple and as great as Solomon's temple was, the church is even greater, even more glorious. Jesus is returning for a glorious bride. Has anybody been to a wedding recently? You know, I haven't been to one for a couple of years, but you have been, yeah, Becky's been. But there's that thing where the bride comes in for the groom, doesn't she? There's kind of like there's a bit of a reversal of that in Jesus coming for his bride. But can you imagine if Jesus is coming for his bride. When Jesus returns, he's going to return in absolute glory. I was reading Revelation 19, rider on the white horse. I was reading about the army of God covered in white. And, and, and then I'm thinking about how what Jesus is going to look like when the trumpet blasts and he returns in glory. And the whole world is going to know that Jesus is coming back for his bride in total glory, total wonder. And his bride is like, I'm coming, Jesus. I'm coming. Tatty, tired, beaten down, just about surviving by her fingernails that are all split, the split ends in her hair. And then she comes to Jesus and sort of manages to just hang on to his arm. She's there like that. You know, and God reveals his manifold wisdom to the heavenly realms through the church. And there she is. No way. No way. Jesus is coming back for a glorious bride, which means the bride will be glorious before he returns. That's us, that's restoration. And that is all expressed in our marriages, in our lives, in our homes, in our workplaces, that we express and reveal this truth, this restoration, this life now, today, as the church. Let's go back to Isaiah 58, please, as I close. I just, I pray that we've been encouraged today with God's heart for us, with what, is, should, is, is, has caught us with what we're a part of, with what we're building towards. You know, I, I'm so glad that the church is growing and thriving. I'm so glad it's happening through many different apostolic spheres and networks and ministries. I'm glad that God is rebuilding his church. I'm so grateful for churches throughout the world that are taking hold of God's restoration promises. But I just want to declare this over us today. 
here in, in Market Harbour and the areas that we're from. Isaiah 58. Tilly was praying this morning in the prayer meeting and there was, you prayed for light. And as you were praying that, I was just this verse was so powerful, I believe, in, in, in the powerful prayers that you brought. But verse 8, it says, Your salvation will come like the dawn. Your wounds will quickly heal. And your godliness will lead you forward. And listen to this. The glory of the Lord will protect you from behind. And when you call, the Lord will answer, Yes, I'm here. He will quickly reply. Feed the hungry and help those in trouble. Then your light will shine out from the darkness. And the darkness around you will be as bright as noon. The Lord will guide you continually, giving you water when you're dry and restoring your strength. You will be like a well-watered garden, like an ever-flowing spring. Some of you will rebuild the destroyed ruins of your cities. Then you will be known as a rebuilder of walls and a restorer of homes. Lord, we thank you that your plan is great. We thank you that your plan is perfect. We thank you, Jesus, that your redemptive plan, that, God, your, that God's redemptive plan through you is amazing and awesome. Holy Spirit, I ask that you'd raise our expectations afresh today. I ask, Holy Spirit, that you'd cause truth to burn in our hearts, that we'd be caught with God's heart, God's will, God's desire, that each one of us would, would have that in our hearts, I pray. Pray that as we talk together today and over the coming days and weeks and as we pray together and as we talk about the word together that we'd continue to spur one another on and encourage one another and cause one another to look to you Jesus and to be those changes of society Lord we thank you that we've been restored to be restorers and Lord I pray that we would recognize that wherever we go whatever we're doing that we've been restored to be restorers not by might not by power but by your spirit Lord Bless each person here, I pray, Lord. Bless all those who are out serving with our children this morning. Bless our children, we pray, Lord. Bless those who aren't able to be with us this morning, Lord. Bless each one of us, Lord, and equip us, we pray, with a fresh zeal and a fresh passion and a fresh anointing to be those who transform the world around us for your glory, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. There's so much going on at Living Rock Church, and we'd love for you to be involved. Search for us online and get information about upcoming events and more great teaching. Visit www.livingrock.church or search for us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram.